Mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean, even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean. And do not rebuke her. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your word and how many things you have to teach us, to instruct us from your word. And so we pray for your spirit to come and guide each one of our lives, our hearts, uh, to attend to the truths that are here in this passage. And uh, Lord, we ask that you would both challenge us uh, challenge us uh, to, to follow you, cha- reveal to us um, the sins that are in each one of our hearts, but also, Lord, we ask that you'd comfort us as well, encourage us and inspire us, draw us near to you in faith as we give our minds now to study your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So for the, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about a number of things that I, I think are pretty challenging topics for a church and thinking about what our mission is as a church. Two weeks ago, we talked about caring for the poor. Last week, we talked about being generous with our resources, with our money, and and what God's entrusted to us for his kingdom. This week, we're talking about the topic of hospitality. What does it mean for a church to have a culture where we have open homes to strangers, to people that we don't know, that we are welcoming people in? And uh, I'm excited to talk about this. Uh, this last, last year, I read a really fascinating memoir by a woman named Rosaria Butterfield. Some of you will know her little book called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. And what uh, Rosaria tells in the story is about how, for many years, she was the uh, head of the women's studies department at Syracuse University. And um, at, at some point when she was a professor at Syracuse, she wrote an article in the local newspaper about Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers in the 90s was kind of this evangelical big ministry to men. And it was a critique of this evangelical ministry. And she got all these letters in about her critique about this Christian ministry. And there was both fan mail, people who loved her article, and hate mail, people who hated her, uh, her article. She gets one letter, though, after she had done this... Uh, done this article in the newspaper, and she couldn't, find, couldn't decide whether this was fan mail or hate mail. She couldn't figure out what it was, and it turned out it was written by a local pastor. And it bothered her for a week that she finally, she tells this story, how she finally contacted this pastor and said, you know, I'd like to talk to you about your letter. And the pastor says, sure. Why don't you come over and have a meal with me and my wife? This guy, he's in his 70s, he's an old pastor, very conservative, reformed Presbyterian church. And she, this is what she says about uh, that, uh, that meal that she shared with this pastor. Let me, let me read this to you. Ken and Floyd did something at the meal that has a long Christian history but has been functionally lost in too many Christian homes. Glenn, Glenn, uh, sorry, Ken and Floyd invited a stranger in. Not to scapegoat me, but to listen and to learn and to dialogue. Since this beginning, the journey on which the Lord has taken me has been a great adventure. And this simple meal in a pastor's home, 
The unlikely circle made by a radical lesbian feminist professor and two strong Christians in their 70s was the first leg of this journey. I left their table needing to know a number of things. Does God exist? If God does exist, what does he expect of me? How do I communicate with him? How do I know who he is and what he wants? What if God is dead? Do I have the courage to face the truth either way? And what she says is actually just sharing a meal, being invited into this home, was the beginning of her life transforming and her finding out who the Lord was. Incredible story. And so I'll just tell you that one of the things that's fundamental for us, if we are going to be a church that's really on mission, caring for our neighbors, caring for Bellingham, Whatcom County, for each other, hospitality must be a part of our life together, opening our homes to one another. And so... uh, this morning, we're going to look at this, just these few little verses where Boaz invites Ruth to share a meal with him and his co-workers, and which actually becomes a, a formative moment in their story together. And in particular, we're going to learn four things about hospitality. The first is that hospitality happens around meals. Second, hospitality is practiced by a community. Hospitality is something that's a very culture of a community. Third, hospitality happens in ordinary life. And fourth, hospitality is at the heart of the gospel. The thing that motivates us, that makes hospitality such an important part of our life together, is the gospel, okay? So four things we're looking at. First, hospitality happens around meals. And, uh, you know, Boaz has been very kind uh, to Ruth, and he expresses his love for her in this passage by welcoming her to a meal with him and his friends. Look Look at verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied. Now, up to this point in the story, if we've been following along, Boaz has been very kind uh, to Ruth. Ruth is poor. She's come to a field looking for someone to care for her. And Boaz has been the one to do it. He's given her grain. He says, you can you know, pick grain from my field. But in this passage... There's a greater intimacy that forms between Boaz and Ruth because they eat together. And um, this is because when you eat with someone, when you feed someone, when you invite them to a meal in your home and with you, you're showing them a great amount of honor, right? It's very honoring to someone to give them food and to welcome them in. And, uh, and the reason for this is because in the ancient world, meals were more than just a physical necessity, In the ancient world, when you ate with someone, it was a symbolic act that bonded you to them. And, uh, I mean, you know, that's one of the reasons, for example, uh, if you you come into our church, um, when we share this meal together, this is, this is the climax of our worship service right here as we share a meal because this is not that we're just eating bread and wine. We are being bound to Jesus. Christ is in me. And that's what happens in a meal when we eat together. And, um, and I, I think many of you have experienced that, that when you eat with someone, your relationship with them transforms. I know throughout my life as a Christian over the last 17 years or so, in many times in churches there have been people that I've, you know, you meet on Sunday and you talk with them after and maybe you met them during the greet time, you sit by them, you kind of know who they are, and then you share a meal with them. 
And what happens? All of a sudden, actually, you know them on a much deeper level. And I, I've, there's been many times I share one meal, and I say, yeah, that guy's my friend now. I know him. I've heard his story. He knows me. There's actually something close. I'm excited to see them. There's a level of trust there. Something happens when you have a meal that transforms a relationship. Meals are, uh, together are how bonds are built. The bonds go beyond the meal, too. And uh, you, you see this in verse uh, 15. Look at this. Uh, so Boaz invites Ruth to a meal, and then it says, when she rose to glean after the meal, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, uh, let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebu- rebuke her. So Boaz brings her in, he feeds her a meal, but there's an ongoing relationship. He's going to continue to care for her, and he's going to be generous with her, because the, the relationship extends beyond the meal. And so what that means is that when you share a meal with someone, in some sense, you're pledging yourself to them. Right? You are building a bond. Now what that means, some of you may ask that, okay, if I have someone in my house for a meal, am I committing to now I'm going to be their best friend? If, you, if I have you for a meal, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'm pledging. I'll be your best friend just because I've had a meal with you. Well, no. But when you share a meal with someone, what you are saying to them is that my spiritual community, my spiritual family is open to you. There, is, there are places, there are ways that you can move into my spiritual family and be a part of it. This is one of the powerful things that a meal does. And that's why, actually, if you read through the Gospels and you read about Jesus' life and ministry, what do you find him doing so often? Eating with people, right? That's what he's criticized for. Is he, uh, you know, why are you eating and drinking with tax collectors and prostitutes? What, how Jesus understood that is the way that he brought the kingdom of God to people. The way he communicated to people that their sins could be forgiven and that God was offering friendship to them. How did he do that? He would go and he would sit and eat with them. And his presence at a meal with them was a symbolic act that said, God is with you. God has offered you friendship. And that's actually true for us too. We're the body of Christ now. As we go out into into a community, when someone eats with you, when someone eats in your home, when they're at your table... This is an act that is announcing to them the kingdom of God. It's more than just simply you're eating, you know, eating food and it tastes good and you're talking. Something is happening. And so hospitality centers around meals. But one of the things that's interesting about Boaz is he teaches us about being a church that's hospitable to one another and to our neighbors, to visitors here, is that hospitality is not something that he did alone. And this is the second thing, is that hospitality is practiced by a community. The way we be a hospitable people is we understand the very culture of our life together is to be hospitable. And you see this in the second half of verse 14. It says, so she sat, this is Ruth, so she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. Now, one of the things you'll see in this passage is that when Ruth is being welcomed in by Boaz, it's not just Boaz who's doing it, but it's Boaz and his friends, the reapers. And actually, if you've been here the last few weeks, we know that Boaz had these men that worked for him, these reapers, and they have this very jovial, warm, welcoming community. You know, it says that Boaz shows up at the field and all the reapers kind of yell at him and they're like, the Lord bless you, Boaz. And Boaz like, the Lord be with you. And there's this sense that they pray for one another, they encourage one another, they welcome one another in. And so they have this sense of community. And um, Boaz is letting Ruth come in and be a part of that warmth and security that they have together. It's really a beautiful picture. Now, 
One of the challenges, what that, one of the challenges for that, though, is that communities, community, which many of us long for community maybe more than anything else in the world. We long for community, be, to be connected to other people, to be known, to be loved. One of the challenges about community is that communities, almost by definition, are exclusive. Communities, almost by definition, are exclusive. And if you, will you turn to page three in your bulletin? I, I put a quote there from a guy named Paul Miller. He's written a, uh, a little book on the book of Ruth. And he makes an interesting observation about community. Listen to what he says. Instinctively, we know what makes for a good community. A safe place where I am included, where I am known and loved, and I, in turn, know and love others. Creating an inclusive community is the holy grail of modern culture, but actually doing it is extremely difficult. The very qualities that create a tight-knit community work against including outsiders. Do you hear that? The very things that make a tight-knit community make it exclusive. It excludes outsiders. Why is that? Why does a tight-knit community exclude outsiders? This is what he says. It is like combining oil and water. That is, communities are almost always built around common interests or relationships. But the stranger, by definition, doesn't share those common interests. Why include someone when you don't understand one another? That's one of the challenges we have to realize about facing community. The very thing that we long for resists bringing people in. When we want to be known, when we want to be loved, when we want to feel a sense of security, that very security keeps other people out because other people are going to disrupt that security, right? And so this is what he says. And you say, communities almost by definition are exclusive, then how, do you, how, do you, how can you have an inclusive community? This is what he says. The biggest problem people have in searching for the perfect community is just that. You don't find community you create it through love. You don't find community, you create it through love. We think community is something we consume. The Bible says it is something we create through our love, through Christ in us. And so he goes on, he says, look how this transforms the way you enter a room of strangers. Our instinctive thought is, who do I know? Who am I comfortable with? There's nothing wrong with those questions, but the Jesus questions that create communities are, who can I love? Who is left out? And what this tells us is for many of us, you know, we come into a church and we're longing for community. And one of the things that we have to face is what happens when we get it? What happens when we are known and we are loved? What are we going to do? is we're going to want to keep it safe. We don't want to lose it. We're going to secure it. If I have community, I don't want anyone to disrupt it. And so by definition, if I don't want anyone disrupting my community, then I'm not going to let any outsiders or strangers in because that's exactly what they do is they disrupt it. And so this is why in 1 Peter, Peter says this, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And actually, the Greek word there, phylloxenos, for hospitality, 
means literally be, a, be friends to strangers. Be a friend to strangers. And what, uh, what Peter's talking about there is each one of us has certain structures in our lives, relational social structures, that give us a sense of security, that I'm known, that I'm loved, that there's people around me. You know, our families are the primary ones. We have, uh, you know, someone around us. Our children have a, a social network around them and a family that makes them feel safe and known and loved. You know, we had friendships. We have a church community. And all these things give us a sense of being in and being loved. And in this passage, Boaz has a community too. He has all these reapers that he works with every day. And they look out for one another, right? And they care for each other and they encourage one another. And these structures provide a sense of safety and security and comfort for us. And we don't want these structures disrupted. We want them stable and unchanging. Do you realize that? That the community, as soon as you get community, you want it to be unchanging. You don't want it to be disrupted or moved. Or, or, or transformed. But hospitality is being a friend to strangers, which means taking these structures. So I have these structures, I have these friendships, I have a family, I have a home, I have a church community, all these things that God has put around me to give me a sense of security. Hospitality is taking these structures and offering them to people on the outside and sharing them the comfort, the warmth, the love, the being known, the laughter, the playfulness the wisdom, all these things, I want to sh- I'm going to share it to someone who's a stranger. That's, by definition, what hospitality is. And so that's why Peter says, show hospitality without grumbling. Because he knows that we're going to grumble about it. We're going to say, no, I don't want my community disrupted. And he says, no, it needs to be unsettled, constantly being unsettled. That has to happen if we are following Christ. And, um, you know, the reason for this is that Jesus, during his ministry, he said some powerful words about meals. And there's one in particular I'm going to read from you. This is from uh, Luke chapter 14, where Jesus was going to a, uh, a banquet at a ruler of the Pharisee's house. He's a religious leader who's having all these people over. And, he, you know, Jesus is a rabbi who's doing these miracles, and he's getting a lot of attention. He wants to have this famous person over to his house. And this is what Jesus says to him. Luke 14. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And what he says is, if you're going to have a dinner party, don't invite, he he actually says that, don't invite your friends. Don't invite your rich neighbors who are going to invite you back. Invite the outcasts and the lost. Now, I think there's some question, does Jesus say, I can't have a dinner party with my friends or have dinner with my friends? No, I don't think that's what he's saying. But what he is saying is that oftentimes when we have dinner with our friends, people that we feel close and secure to, we think we're doing something that's distinctly Christian. We have this Christian community. But the reality is that non-Christians have dinner parties with their friends. Hitler probably had dinner parties with his friends, right? Dinner parties with your friends is not a distinctly Christian thing. It's a human thing, and we should thank God for it. Jesus says the distinctly Christian thing, the distinctly thing, the thing that we as followers of Christ must do is think about the person who's not a part of my secure community 
and welcome them in. Now you're doing something that is distinctly obedient to Christ. And I'll just tell you, those hard words from Jesus, who are you inviting in? I think he intends us to put those into practice. We should be, at many times throughout our Christian life, be challenged by that. Who am I inviting in? Is it only people I'm comfortable and secure with? Or is it the outsider that, God, that has crossed my path? Am I going to welcome them in? But I'll tell you, one of the things, if you do that, let's say you commit your life to, you know, I'm going to welcome in the outsider. You could very quickly become overwhelmed. That's one of the reasons I say that hospitality is practiced by a community. It's not just something that one person does on their own. Actually, I knew a church planner, a guy who's starting a church, and he needed to reach as many people as he could. And he told me that in one 30-day period, every day for 30 days, he had someone, uh, someone in his house for dinner. And his kids were just like weary, like, oh, can we just like have a normal family dinner without someone in our house? And, you know, what is he trying to do? He's trying to be hospitable to every single stranger every miss, and he can't do it. And so part of the question is, how do I be sustainable, well, you know, welcoming the outsider uh, in a way that is enduring and, that, you know, that I can continue on and, and uh, laboring in that I can continue on. And this is the third thing that we see in this passage. Not just that hospitality happens around meals. Meals must be an important part of our life together. Second, that hospitality is practiced by a community. It's a whole culture of a community that's always breaking down its structures to welcome in the outsider. But third, hospitality happens in ordinary life. Hospitality is something that we just do in our ordinary life. And I just, I love this simple scene. Look at what it says, verse 14 again. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come, come, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her the roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and uh, she had some left over. This little meal is probably something that Boaz did every day, maybe multiple times a day. The reapers, they get together and they eat. He's not doing some special event. He's not even doing some special ministry to outsiders. He's not creating some new program. He's just going about his life and letting others come and share in his everyday life. And one of the things that hospitality does, when hospitality is a part of your life, it takes the mundane, everyday, simple pleasures of your life and transforms them into extraordinary acts of love. You don't actually have to do anything different. You have places of comfort and laughter and security in somewhere in your life. Let other people come into that, and those mundane things are transformed. And, you know, it's important then to re recognize in this passage, many of us think of hospitality as kind of entertaining, right? You know, I'm going to... I'm going to put on a spread. I have people coming over, and so I need to bring out the fancy china and the tablecloth and cook something special. And, you know, you may do that. You have a guest in your home sometimes. Maybe break out a bottle of wine or you get a little nicer cut of meat. I don't know. If you want to, that's a nice, honoring thing to do. But at the end of the day, hospitality is really going about your normal routine. And there are actually many blessings in your normal routine that other people and outsiders don't have. And just to include them into that is a powerful act. And here it was to Boaz to just simply do his meal that he did every day and let Ruth be a part of it was mind-blowing to her. It was a mind-blowing act, blowing act of love. It was God was present. God was showing up in her life just by eating a meal with him. And, you know, I, I should say this as hospitality has, happens as a part of your everyday life, one 
if, if you're asking the question, how can I do that? How can that be a part of the culture of my life? Probably the best answer to that is, you know what the best thing you could do? Is keep the Sabbath. If you had one day Sunday, Sunday is a day where I worship the Lord every Sunday, and I leave that day open to just be with people. And you come here, you meet a stranger, and you say, you know, i got a crock pot going at home, why don't you come, why don't you come over and eat? You just keep the Sabbath. Simple thing. You will become a hospitable person. And I'll tell you, the, the most hospitable people that I've met in my life have been people who you know, were diligent to keep the Sabbath. Actually, I went to this little church out in the, uh, the county and it's when Shannon and I were first married. This transformative experience that we had going to this little country church that uh, the, the people there out at Wise Lake Chapel uh, up on the guide up there, we went in there, we were a bunch of college students and they kept the Sabbath. And what they did is they had lunch after church and they just invite someone who's new and say, hey, why don't you come over and eat with us? And we did that. And it was mind-blowing to us. And they were just going about their meals and letting us be a part of it. And we immediately said, that church is our home. We have a home. We don't even know any of these people, but we've found a home. And, but it's a simple part of ordinary life. And I'll tell you, you know, what's, you know what's really, if you think about it, your ordinary life is filled with small acts of service. You know, if you, if, if you live in a home, if you have roommates, or if you're, uh, you know, even being a part of a church, or if you have a family, you know, you wash dishes, and you serve meals to people. All these things are tangible acts of service. And one of the things I love about this passage, did you catch that little phrase where it says that she sits down with the reapers, and then it says, and Boaz, he passed to her the roasted grain. I was like, why is that little comment in there? You know, they're having the meal, and by the way, you know, it's because Boaz is serving her. He's this wealthy landowner, and here's this foreigner widow woman who's at a meal, and he's making an effort to serve her and care for her. It's just really beautiful. And, um, and you know, another thing about Boaz that's really interesting, because some of you may be here and you might say, you know, hospitality, feeding people, uh, you know, inviting people into my, into my home and into my space and my family is something that married people do or people with kids, people with a family. Boaz is a single guy. Was a single guy, being, being hospitable, using the things that he has. And actually, you know, the only people that I've really used in this sermon, you know, examples from the scriptures, Jesus shared meals with people. He's a single guy. You don't have to have a family. It's whatever resources you have, comforts that God's bringing into your life, sharing that with other people. Who can I bring in to those comforts? And so the questions that we should ask, who are the people in your life that you could just simply eat with? You know, think next door, house next door, across the street, the people across the street, down the street. You know, those people that walk by your house that maybe you chat with. Next cubicle over, think the next cubicle over. Who's that person that maybe you chat with a little bit at work? Okay, maybe the person here during the greet time, you always sit by them. Maybe take the next step and say, why don't we share a meal together? You want to come over for a meal sometime this week? That may be uh, scary for many of you to do something like that. Trust the Lord. Tell the Lord that you're scared of that. And say, Lord, you know, I want to invite someone into my home. And I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know how the conversation is going to go. I don't know what I'm going to say, but I'm going to trust you that you're going to give me your spirit and help me to do that. He promises to give you his spirit to help you. And so this is a part of our life together. But the big question is, you know, okay, we need to be a hospitable people, but why? 
What's the rationale? What's the motivation for us? Why should we do that? Is that just because good people are hospitable and so you should all be hospitable because that's what good people do? That's not the answer. And this is the fourth thing we learn about hospitality in this passage is that hospitality is at the heart of the gospel. Hospitality is at the heart of the gospel. And and maybe you caught this as I've read this verse several times already in this sermon, verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. It's a meal of bread and wine they're eating together. Bread, bread and wine, here. And uh, that, that's no accident. You might think that when Jesus came up with this meal, that the way that we commune with Jesus, the way we uh, spend time with him is over bread and wine. The reason he used bread and wine is because bread and wine were a powerful image throughout the Old Testament. There's little scenes like this of people eating bread and wine, and it was a sign. These were symbols of the coming of God's kingdom. And so there's even places where it says in the age to come, when God's kingdom comes, there will be abundance of grain and their mountains will be flowing with wine. And, uh, and so what this little meal is, this little meal that Boaz is inviting Ruth into, is a symbol of, of our life with God. It's a picture of our life with God. And so that's why Jesus had us renew our covenant relationship with him through a meal that he sets for us every week. And he serves us. He passes the grain to us, if you will. And, you know, gives us these little acts of service. And we eat with him. And we're then bonded to him and connected to him. And so why do we love meals as Christians? Because every meal we share together, every meal we share in this community, when you, any of you invite one another over for a meal or you invite your neighbor over for a meal into your home, it is all a foretaste of the great coming meal, the marriage supper of the Lamb that Jesus says that when he comes back and he sets all things right in the world, it will be a feast. And we are anticipating that feast, and so we eat with people whenever we can. And the reason, why is the reason that we are always welcoming outsiders in? Why can we, we have to let always disrupt our community in order to let outsiders in? Well, the reason is because God himself is a community, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is a community. And we were alienated. We were strangers from that community, right? We sinned against God and we told God, we don't want you to be our God. We're going to live our own life and do what we want. Stay out of it. Stay away from me. And what did God do? Did, God, did Jesus and the Father say, I, didn't want, I don't want my secure community to be, to be disrupted? No. God had the greatest disruption in his community anyone has ever faced. When Jesus died on the cross and he bore our alienation and our sin, The Father and the Son, the Father forsook the Son. They were ripped apart. His community was disrupted so that we could be brought in and have a place there. And so the gospel, if that's true about us, that's my whole life story, is that God's community was disrupted so that I could have a place in. We always have to disrupt our community so that the outsider, the stranger, can find a place among us. And so who are those people? that God's bringing into your life. As you welcome them into your home, that could, just like Rosaria Butterfield, that meal was the first step in a long journey for her. There are many people that it might be the first step in a long journey for them uh, to come into your home. So let me just encourage you, pray. Ask the Lord and trust Him. If that's a great risk for you, if that's uh, to have someone come into your home and into your space, pray and ask the Lord and step out and let us put the words of Jesus into practice. Let's pray together.
Our Lord, we thank you for the challenge of this passage and make us into a community that is hospitable as you have been hospitable to us, as you've brought us in. Stir our hearts to be amazed at the gospel that uh, you did not keep your security in heaven. The Father and the Son bonded in love. But Jesus, you came to us to make room for us that you might dwell with us. So Lord, we pray that you'd open doors for us to be hospitable to our coworkers, to our neighbors, to each other. And also we just pray that you would help us to open our doors. Teach us that this might be a part of the culture of our community. We pray in Jesus' name.